Well, we've, we've been, as you've walked through this section of Matthew, Jesus has uh, been arrested. The Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, have uh, determined that Jesus was worthy of death because of blasphemy. They said that he had, he had uh, claimed that he was the son of God. So they took him then to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, because under the, Roman, the rule of the Roman Empire, the Jewish people had lost their ability for, to, uh, to pronounce the death sentence or carry out the death sentence, capital punishment. So if they wanted Jesus executed, Rome was going to have to do the executing. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. Last week, we looked at Pilate's predicament, and it was a predicament. Jesus always confronts us, just like he did with Caiaphas, he did with Pilate. Pilate knew and believed in his heart that Christ was innocent of the charges that the Jewish leaders brought against him. Pilate knew that the Jewish leaders had brought Jesus to him and before him, partly out of jealousy, partly out of vengeance, but he knew that their motives were not pure. He knew that. So I want to read this morning a little bit from Matthew. We're going to be actually going to be looking at Matthew 27, verse 30, uh, 27 through 31. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bound the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and hit him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Now I want to go to Matthew, I mean to Luke, chapter 23. Matthew gives us a, the, the, the version there. Luke fills in one little gap because actually Jesus comes before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and then when Pilate learns that Jesus is a Galilean, Pilate, not wanting to condemn Jesus, not wanting to crucify Jesus, Pilate thinks he has another way out. It's another way that we didn't look at last week. And this is... Oh, if he's a Galilean, I'll send him to Herod. Herod's here in Jerusalem, and he's under Herod's jurisdiction. That's his problem. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 23. It says, And a whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus asked him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry from beginning from Galilee to this place. When Peter, or when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. Now, just hold right there. We're going to come back. That's verse 7. Herod is the grandson of, of, of Herod who had tried to have Jesus killed as a baby uh, when he heard the news. Herod is, a, is a, the, the ruler here who married his brother's wife, Philip's wife. Herod is the one who had John the Baptist arrested. 
and feared John the Baptist because he, he believed John the Baptist was a powerful man from, from God, if there was a man from God. And he, 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 he feared John, but Herod is the one who, because of his stepdaughter dancing and pleasing the whole crowd when they're having a big party and a feast, who Herod promised, I'll give you anything, man, anybody that can perform like that, whatever you want up to the half of my kingdom. And so he was put in a, in a bind when she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. Bring it to me on a platter. And so because of pride and because of his worry and because of everything that was around him, he did that. And ever since he had had John killed, and Herod had now was fearing that this man Jesus, who they're bringing to him, was John the Baptist reincarnated. And it scared him and he was feared. Let's pick it up on verse, verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he wanted to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him and he hoped he would do some miracle. Then he questioned Jesus with many words, but Jesus didn't say anything. Verse 10, and the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. And Herod, when his men of war set Jesus at naught and mocked him and put a gorgeous robe on him, and sent him back to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity with themselves. And Pilate, when he called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one that perverts the people, and I have examined him before you, and I find no fault of this man perverting the people that you, what you accuse him of. No, now, even I sent him to Herod, for I sent him to you, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I'm going to chastise him and to release him. In verse 18, they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, release unto us Barabbas, who was for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in this man. I'm going to chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with a loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them that for him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Now, crucifixion was a Roman means of execution, and it was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. It was it was it was meant the crucifixion was meant to be a a painful, excruciating, humiliating death sentence that was to serve as a deterrent to anybody else that would dare break Roman law the way the, the, the person being executed, the victim being executed. So usually they would put on the cross or around the neck of the person being executed a, a, a sign telling what crimes this person had committed. And it's for these crimes that this person is being treated in this way. And of course, we know above Jesus, on the cross above Jesus, Scripture says that they printed a sign. And what was on that sign? King of the Jews, Jesus Christ, 
king of the Jews. Now, I, I don't, I've not had a, a lot of experience being around nobility uh, as far as kings and queens and things like that. Uh, some of you may have, and some of you may have actually, you know, you can, you can watch the, the royal wedding they had on television, and it, was, it took up a lot of stuff and, and, I, and all this. I, I, but I, what I've seen on TV and what I've heard is that there, there is a certain nobility because of the position brings with it certain pomp and circumstance and, 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 uh, and the way things are supposed to be done. They're treated like royalty. Uh, recently, down at the Great Commission Foundation board meeting down in Noonan, I sat with a, with a guy, Harley Rollins. And Harley was there with uh, Operation Mobilization in the, in the early days. And so he was, he was on the, the ship, the Logos, and they docked for the first time many years ago in the country of Ethiopia on the east coast of Africa. And uh, this was back when their king was Haile Selassie. Some of you older ones will remember him, last king of Ethiopia. He would later be taken by the communists and put in jail and die some mysterious death while he was in the custody of, the area of, of this regime. But Haile Selassie was the, was the king of Ethiopia, and he was going to come and cut the ribbon and open the book display and open the ship, the Logos, to the nation of Ethiopia. And so Harley was chosen as one of the people from Operation Mobilization that would be with the king's entourage in welcoming the king aboard the ship. And Harley said he was there and, and they were, everything was just, I mean, they had to have it perfect and all this. And, and Harley said he was a young guy and he looked down at his watch and he said, man, the king's late. One of the attendants turned to Harley quickly and said, the king is never late. Harley said he knew really right quickly what he was saying that when the king was there was the right time. Harley may be wrong, but the king was never wrong. Treat kings with royalty. So I'm looking at this scripture, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, that what we see happening is no way to treat a king. It's no way to treat our king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. No way to do that. It's... Uh, we see such inhumane, uh, and treatment is, a, is, is probably a t- too good a word for it. It's appalling. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, why all this? Now, I know the Roman soldiers, uh, historians say that they, they detested uh, being in Israel. Israel was known as a, bunch of, uh, as a hard country to keep in control. They're always troublemakers. They're always trouble arousers. And so maybe they resented, they did resent the Jewish people. Maybe they resented that they were having, that they were deployed in Israel and they, and they were a long ways away from Rome, back where civilization was, back where the things were happening, back where things were moving, where they could advance. Now they're stuck down here, these garrisons in this faraway place. They resented them. And so when the Roman soldiers were, were, were turned loose on one who claimed to be the king of the Jews, it loosed all their fury. It loosed all their anger. It loosed all the re- resentment of this people, and it, and it was focused directly on this one man who claimed to be their king. So they, they beat him. They scourged him. Now, 
the Jewish, the Jews, when they whipped a, a person, they could only put 39 stripes. They weren't allowed 40 because they were getting too close to killing. I mean, sometimes people died even before the 40th. But the Romans had no limit of how many times they could, could scourge. I remember reading, I've read it several times. I've shared it here with you years past. Had an article from the AMA Journal, American Medical Association Journal. And it was an article on, on crucifixion and on, on scourging and the whipping. And it was, it was done from research from um, where they had uh, looked at the bodies of, of victims that had been crucified. And, all and it was horrible. It's almost indescribable, the suffering and the pain that they went through before they were released from all the pain in crucifixion. Here the soldiers beat Jesus. They spit on his face. But what's a king without a crown, right? So the scripture tells us that they plant a crown of thorns. Now, only thorns, I grew up here, and, and, and the thorniest thing that we had was crabapple trees. Uh, I can remember that. Some of you do. And, and a crabapple tree had thorns on it. And, uh, and I'm thinking, man, that'd be horrible. But then I see this crown that was woven out of um, thorns that were, were in, in, in the Holy Land at the time. And they're thorns an inch and a half long. And they're like, they're like sharp as needles. And so when they, they plant this thorn in mockery and they place it on his head and then they spit at him and they abuse him. And then did you notice what they did? It said they, King James says they took a reed. Now, when I, th- when I read reed, I'm thinking a cat tail, something that you can flop and hit people with. But it was really more a, a, a staff. It was like a scepter a king would have. And they gave him that and mock it. And then they take that out of his hand and they hit him on the head. They beat the crown down in his head with a stick. It's no way to treat a king. And it's hard to visualize. It's hard to visualize the, what he looked like. This was our king. This is my king. If you're a Christian, this is your king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He was there in the beginning in the creation of all the world. This is him. And now he's a, he's a really a, a brutalized, bloody mess. It's hard to visualize. And my question, I'm wondering is, why would the king of kings submit himself to go through such humiliation, such suffering and abuse? And we don't have to wonder long about that because we, we came over a verse a few Sundays ago that really explained it. Matthew 26, I've asked Craig to put up a couple, three verses there in the English Standard Version. Just, I think, it, I think we see it more clearly. This is at the arrest in the garden. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For everybody who takes the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once or immediately send me more than 12 lead, thousands? He said, don't you know, if I asked my daddy, there would be thousands of angels immediately here. But look at this. If I did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? It must be so. It's got to be like this. 
It's got to be like this. And my question is, why? Why? I mean, sure, we talk about Jesus dying in our place. But it's not Jesus going before an execution. It's not just Jesus going before this harm. It's, all, it's the suffering. I want to say this morning, the suffering and the abuse and the humiliation and the pain before he ever got to the cross. And the reason for it is this. It's not because of his weakness. We just saw that. It's not because he couldn't have stopped it. He could have. It's not out of weakness. They've not, any power they seem to have over him is power that he is allowing. Why? Because it's out of mercy. Now you say, that's crazy. No, listen. Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission to rescue and redeem fallen men and women, boys and girls, you and me, sinners. He came on a mission, a mercy mission, to save us from sin and the penalty of sin. Now, there's a, there's a verse, another verse that we've got to look at just while we're here, and that's a verse in John chapter 10. Jesus was talking to his disciples and, and teaching, and he was telling them one day, and he was talking about the sheep and the shepherd. And he says this verse, and it's an interesting verse. He said, I'm the good shepherd, The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, if you read that, you're thinking, okay, you know, I know he died for me. But you're thinking, what good is a a dead shepherd for the rest of the sheep? If he gives his life trying to protect the sheep, who's going to guard the sheep when he's gone? Aren't other wolves just going to come in and scatter them and kill them? But Jesus was telling his disciples, and he understood, and he was wanting us to know that from the beginning, God's plan included this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When uh, Adam and Eve had sinned and ate of the fruit in the garden, and when, they, when God had come to walk and, and to talk with them in the, in the cool of Eden, and they had hid themselves... And as God spoke to Adam and he spoke to Eve, then he says this to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. It's kind of the first prophetic words of this suffering that the Messiah, the seed of the woman, not of man, but God's son, would endure in this redemption plan because of sin that began in the garden. This that we're seeing is part of the heel bruising. The Messiah came to suffer and die. Now listen, this is important. Jesus did this in our place. He is taking our place. On the cross, he's going to die in our stead, fulfilling, and we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. But the suffering, the treatment of the king of kings that he is enduring, that he is going through, is for me and for you. There is, um, there is no doubt, we were, song of Adam's song, we were chained by our sins. We were chained to death. For the wages of sin is death. Who's, 
who's sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we were chained to sin, and there's no escape from it. Listen now, hell was my destination, and hell was your destination as sinners separated from God. There was no escape, but Jesus Christ took my place. He exchanged places with me and with you. And he suffered and died not only for our punishment, but so that we could go free from the bondage of sin. And as a result of that, on the cross, when Jesus says it's finished, the, the payment for sin was paid in full. Jesus left nothing unpaid. Now, with that in mind, there is, there is a couple of lies that Satan pulls out of his toolbox or out of his bag of lies or tricks that is used very often that have to do with it. And one of them is this. Satan likes to pull out this well, you have been so bad or you have done so much that that's too much that Jesus can't forgive you or he won't forgive you. Jesus will forgive people when they say little lies or he'll forgive people, you know, if they steal a pencil or, or if they, you know, go speeding. He'll forgive stuff like that. And he may even forgive them, you know, if, if they hurt somebody or do something a little bit bad. But they'll never forgive. He can never forgive you for all you've done. I remember... Young, one time I was teenagers before Barbie and I were born, uh, born before we were married. <laughs> wow. Wow, honey. Before we were married. And uh, there's a guy over uh, close to Hawasha Dam. If you go down to the intersection, instead of turning left to go to the Fields Wood, turns right. There's a little church up there. And uh, remember a guy, he, had, uh, he came up and was talking to me. And he, he, had, he had just got out of prison. And he was, in, and he was in prison, he'd been in prison for, for several years for, for uh, a capital offense, for murder. And, and it was a lot of, it was, it was bad. Murder's always bad, but it was, it was really bad. And he had served his time, and they had let him out on release. And he happened to be at church that night. It was, uh, we were kind of having a youth rally, and he wasn't a youth, but he was there, and Afterwards, he came up and began talking to him. And he said, no, God can't forgive me. I said, God can forgive anybody. He said, no, you don't know what I've done. I've done too much. I've done too many horrible things. I've hurt too many people. And God can't forgive me. And I looked, and with all the hopelessness of a soul that was lost and doomed for hell, Satan was lying to him and telling him, there's no hope. Prison was, easy, was easier than being out in, the, in, the, in what was going through his mind. And he was there, and he was waiting on the, maybe a relief that death would bring, but then he knew that after that was going to be eternal separation from God. And he was looking for, looking for hope, and Satan was pulling the lie, you've done too much. Let me tell you, here this morning, if you and I knew the story of each one here, we would stand in amazement, not of the sin, but of the Savior. Because his grace and his glory 
and his love is greater than all our sin. And he endured that. And when we stop and we look and we see what he endured, the suffering even before he gets to the cross, and we see that and we say, why would a king? There's a song that Nelson sang on the CD, Mildred and Barbara and I happened to hear it this week. I woke up this morning going through the house singing that. Um, Sometimes Nelson would sing, who am I that a king would bleed and die for we, we think of who he, who he was, the king of kings, the king of glory, this sinless son of God, this man, this awesome, great man, and yet he's taken my place and your place. And there is nothing, nothing that's out of reach of his love. Adam sang that, the, the praise and worship team read those verses. There's nothing, no sin, nothing in heaven and earth, anywhere around that can keep the perfect love of God from forgiving us. Sometimes Satan will pull out that boy. That's who, who's oh, that's worth amen. Clap or say amen. They're just say, yeah. Um, and sometimes Satan, if he don't say to you, "Oh, you've done too much," or "You're too bad," or "You're too ugly," or "You keep doing this," well, that's the one he always pulled with me. You know, I knew God could forgive, and I knew God's greatness and God's goodness. But with me, Satan said, "Man, you you keep doing it, man. You keep sinning. You keep sinning." You think he's going, he knows you're going to do it again. And you're going to ask him to forgive you? And then I think of the verse where the disciples were kind of having a hard time with this forgiveness thing. And they said, Lord, man, probably what I'm thinking about his brother. My brother offends me seven times in a day. How many times, how many times, when's the limit, right? Where's the limit? And of course, Jesus, what did he say? 70 times seven. And I think that was in a day. I'm not sure, but that's 400. That's a bunch. And I'm thinking, Jesus, with Jesus, what he's saying, there's no limit to his forgiveness when we come to him. There's no limit to that. Sometimes Satan tries to say that God's love is not strong enough to forgive us. God's love is not strong enough to change you. He changes other people, but you just got to pray a prayer and then kind of act like you're changed and nothing's really changed. No, man. Why I'm on Nelson this morning. I'm hearing him say this, Mildred. Remember Nelson saying that he paid much too high a price to have my heart just stirred from time to time and never really be changed? If you're here this morning and you kind of catch yourself playing religion, don't you want to stop that? Don't you want to stop pretending? Listen. You say, well, then do I got to go around with a smiley face all the time and just say, praise Jesus, and the car tears up, and I say, thank you, Lord, for tearing the car up, and, you know, and, and I get bad news, and we say, thank you, Lord, for bad news and that crazy stuff. No, you don't have to do all that. You just got to be real. You just got to be real and love him, but most of all, just receive his love for you. I was praying. You know, we all, we all every, one of us, every one of us here, somebody and I was talking about this morning, everyone, every, everybody here uh, has has. Family and has family needs and problems. Somebody was talking. Jr. Jr. and I were talking earlier, and we were talking about a good friend, mutual friend, and, and he said they've got so many things going on. And you begin talking about one's dealing with cancer, and one is dealing with addiction, and one's dealing with this, one's dealing with that. And I'm, I'm I'm looking. I'm saying, you know, every one of us have got things we're praying for. I found myself praying recently. Lord, 
this is a situation, Barb and I, Lord, we love you and, and, and we love uh, this uh, person over here. And, and, and I'm praying, Lord, what can I do? And boy, the Lord just stopped me. I'm wanting to fix it. I'm wanting to fix it. And, I, and I've already read these verses and was thinking about it today and the Lord said, Jerry, just pray that they can see how much I love them. You can't do that. You can't fix it. I'm the only one that can. He's the only one that can. And it's a crazy thing is that when we are in a relationship with him, he don't keep the car from breaking up or he hadn't mine yet. Now, sometimes he's put gas in it and I believe he's let it go an extra miles. It's not, a, it's not about those things, although he can do whatever he wants to, okay? He, he's a better mechanic. We got some good mechanics in here, but I want to tell you, if Jesus wants the car to run, it'll run, okay? There's more than one of us in here that's driven many miles late at night on an empty tank of gas when there's nothing open and we knew that God was doing the, the powering, right? Forget that, can't figure it out. There's more than one or two in here in us in here this morning that know what it's like to look at your bank account or your checkbook and have the end of the month coming up and there's nothing there. And we've got to watch God's economy somehow provide food when we get him have money to provide it. Different ways. You can't outdo him. But what I'm saying is when we see, when Satan comes at lies and says, God can't do this. God won't do this for you. Look and see my king and see my savior and know what he's doing and why he's doing it. He's doing it for you. He's doing it for me. Stop and look. Stop and think of why a king would allow himself to be treated like this. It was for me. It was for you. I was the one deserving of that treatment. Our king endured the rejection. My king endured the humiliation and the abuse. My king endured the pain so that he could set me free forever. Not just in this life, but forever. Wow. When I think of that, and I think of his kingdom, an eternal kingdom, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more suffering. Wow. Life and joy. And it only says that, but he says that he, in, the, in the exchange for us, when we receive his forgiveness, he says he gives us life worth living. That's what the guy was looking for over at Hawassadam. But Satan had him believe in a lie that he couldn't find it. Have you found that? Have you found a life worth living even in the midst of life? Because you serve a king who's greater than all that's going on around us right now? Wow. So while Jesus is protecting us now, I'm, I'm going to read this. This is the last thing I got down. He's ruling things for us. He's working things out for our good. He asks us to lift our eyes heavenward and see what's coming. The fulfillment of his love, the end of everything bad, the beginning of everything good, which will never end. No other king, no other ruler has done what our king did for you and me. Wow. Let's see him. Father, your word is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a fun and, and exciting lesson in one way to, to look at. It's so, it's so uh, hard 
to realize and to, and to say this and to see what goes on and, and then to think, he did that for me. But Lord, in, in the midst of that, in, 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 our, in my feeble attempt to even describe it, I see you. And when I see you, butted and beaten and battered, and when I realize you did this because you love me, and you're saying, Jerry, this was for you, but I love you, man. I wasn't forced to do this. I did it because I love you. Now enjoy forgiveness and peace and freedom because I paid for it in full for you. If you're here this morning with your head still bowed and just wait before him, you've been asleep, kind of wake up with just a tattic right here. And if you've been listening, maybe you're here and you've, you've believed in Christ, you believe that Jesus was God's son, Historically, you know that he did miracles, that he was a good man. But this whole concept of him being a king and of him taking your place and suffering for you and for me, it's kind of of new to you. And you realize that he is king and he wants to be your king. And you want to receive him this morning. You want to say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want you to serve you as my king. And there's, a, uh, there's probably a, 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 a stirring in, in your spirit or in, down inside somewhere. And it's not just that you're hungry and it's time to eat. But you understand and you know that it's God speaking to you and saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. I would encourage you, just say, Jesus, in your heart, I believe you are the king of kings, God's son, my savior. You did this, you took this suffering, you died this death for me so that I could be free. Now by faith, I'm asking you to come into my life, be my king. I'll serve you as long as I live. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. There may be those still here this morning is kind of like me. I, hey, I know, uh, I know that I've trusted him. I know that I've been saved. But sometimes I get to thinking way too much of what I need to do and not near enough of what he's already done. And we need just a fresh look and see him this morning and see the extent of his love and of his passion for you. Maybe this morning you just need to say, Jesus, thank you for this fresh look of you. This fresh appreciation of a king who would bleed and die and suffer for me like this. What a savior. What a king. Help me to keep that perspective all my days. In Christ I pray.